Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 57, we hope. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd be given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John. I have just consumed massive amounts of coffee as usual, so moderately juiced, and glad we're recording, to be honest with you. <laughs> but that's another story for later. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, so we're here to do a unexpected additional episode on our unexpected opportunity series. Uh, we realized after we thought we were done with that series that we had um, kind of missed a topic, and that is personal finance. You know, speaking of personal finance, John, are you actually employed now? Just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. You don't have to tell anybody if you don't want it. I just, I worry about you and I'll even buy the next round of stickers if that's what it takes. <laughs> well, I'm going to hold you to that. I do in fact have a job. It is as a customer engineer at Google, uh, representing the Google cloud uh, portfolio of products. I think Google cloud is a part of Google, which is a part of alphabet, but I'm not 100% clear on how that works. Um, but Google cloud Something, something, enterprise, cloud solutions, something, 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 something. I'm going to really work on my pitch. Now, when do you get to read and modify the Google search algorithm, John? Is that like after six months? How does that work? Oh, yeah. See, that's part of Google, not Google Cloud. And I, I think, uh, I, I, I feel like there was a some kind of statistic that was, it was like a single digit number of people who are allowed to commit to that, that search algorithm that they mentioned <laughs> during our orientation, but uh, I, I don't really remember, to be honest. So they don't let nuclears do that? No, definitely not part of uh, the training week. <laughs> Commit some code to the search algorithm. <laughs> no, we didn't get there. But um, anyway, uh, let's actually get to the topic. We're gonna be talking about personal finance um, just some background on this topic. I think we both realized after we finished recording our last episode that a lot of the advice that we gave for people who had just recently been laid off were centered around the idea that you should be um, in a financially healthy place. And as a result of that, not have to make a bunch of decisions rashly based on um, financial uh, urgency. You know, we need to get, um, you know, money coming in the door to make the rent, to, to make the mortgage, to not lose the house, to not lose the car, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but if you weren't in that situation, then we kind of didn't have any good uh, advice for you. So um, that's why we have this additional episode to talk about how to get your financial house in order um, so that were you to be laid off, you you would be in a position to not need to grab the first opportunity that came along um, and not need to compromise things. So as a result, personal finance. Maybe we start off, John, just by talking about the emotional state that you're in when you have financial struggles, because it is aware on you, even if you have a good job, uh, you know, being in debt is very stressful in my opinion you know the borrower is slave to the lender that's in the book of proverbs so no i totally agree you know um if you are in a place where you're in debt you have to spend a, a whole lot of energy just to avoid thinking about the debt and and the power that it has over you and that's a lot of energy that you don't have to do other things like digging yourself out of that debt. So it's a whole lot of pressure. It's not a good emotional place to be. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of energy that's being wasted 
you know, just mental energy being wasted and a lot of pressure, you know, it's just this, this low level, like fear in the background that's just humming along. So, um, I've been there, you know, um, you know, thankfully for a very, very short period of time. Um, and you know, I was in a really good position, uh, when I left my last position. So, um, you know, I was able to not make a decision based, you know, purely on, uh, finances. And I was, you know, very blessed to be in that situation. But, you know, the more I thought about it, the more it was because I'd kind of followed a set of principles for personal finance that um, really, you know, could have, you know, if I hadn't been doing it, like would have put me in a very different position. So, you know, we really wanted to talk about that. I mean, it wasn't like 100% applicable. I wasn't laid off from VMware. But, you know, I left and, you know, it was you know, based on, you know, not money. So <laughs> um, we wanted to really kind of kick off the discussion um, with some uh, manager tools uh, references. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, I know. It's uh, maybe too long since we talked about manager tools. Manager tools has a great episode uh, called uh, Getting Laid Off, uh, Finances Rule. And the main point, you should go listen to it, and we'll, we'll have a link to the episode you know, the main thing they say is when you are, when you have been laid off, you should get control of your finances immediately. So a lot of people's first instinct is to go, you know, get their resume in order, um, start applying for jobs. And what they're really advising people is that the first thing that you should do if you've been laid off is to get control of your finances, reduce your spending, control the, the expenses, the money that's going out, um, and just really get a hold on that. They also advise having six months of uh, liquidity. So being able to cover all of your expenses for six months. Um, and then, you know, obviously reducing your spend, spending would hopefully uh, lengthen that. So, um, you know, you just don't want to have all your eggs in the basket of, oh, I can get a job within two weeks. Like, you know, cause sometimes that doesn't happen. Right now we're in kind of the hottest job market in 2019 in uh, kind of modern history, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that's particularly going to apply for you or that it's always going to be that way or it's that way in the micro market that you happen to live in. So, you know, that's uh, kind of the thing to, to keep to keep in mind. Um, there's a second episode, um, the annual layoff immunization. Um, they advised having a bunch of stuff um, at home ready to take, you know, that's cash at home that, you know, nobody can take away from you, a printed contacts list, a printed list of recruiters that you have relationships with, home individual email list of your coworkers that you want to stay in touch with, and home access to uh, business news, like uh, a, a newspaper or something like that. You know, if you're getting too much of that stuff um, from your access at work, then you can't stay up to date on the stuff that you need to uh uh, stay up to date with. Like, uh, I think my understanding is that printed contacts list um, is the stuff that you've developed individually and not the things that are proprietary to your company. Um, at least in my onboarding, you know, they really wanted to make sure that I hadn't um, brought a bunch of uh, things home with me that I was bringing to my new employer, you know, electronically um, that were proprietary and things like org charts and, uh, you know, mass amounts of contact information that didn't pertain to you personally um, were considered like proprietary information that they didn't want you to bring to work with them. They wanted you to attest that you hadn't brought it, left the company with it, and that you weren't bringing it to uh, the new employer. So keep that in mind. It's really just, you know, if somebody gives you their home email address and their, their home phone number um, and you, you know, record that in your personal phone, you know, that's one thing, but, you know, going through, you know, a, a mass, like uh, doing like a mass dump of, of contacts uh, of the company, like that's a whole separate thing. So yeah, uh, keep that do... in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Stay legal, stay legal. So um, obviously with that in mind, you know, there's some things that you can do that don't have anything to do with money that you can be ready. You know, the last thing is have your current resume ready. Um, but that six months of liquidity and, you know, being in good financial shape, you know, begs the question, how do you get there? Especially if you're not there, you don't necessarily have any education. 
on on how to manage that or you have some ideas but you don't know how valid they are or you know you've heard some advice from people and it's conflicting so so what should you actually do um i'm going to talk about the sources that i kind of brought to the table and then maybe nick you can talk about your sources does that work sounds good to me mm -hmm. okay so um the the two that i'm um, going to reference heavily is the personal finance for dummies cheat sheet and that comes from the author of the book, Personal Finance for Dummies. Um, I found that to be incredibly helpful to get hold of my uh, personal finances uh, coming out of college. Um, you know, you don't have any education usually in primary school, secondary school, or uh, college on how to manage your personal finances. Um, and this just had like really down to earth, good information that was backed up by like, you know, kind of math on how to do things. Um, the second is the Bogleheads Personal Finance Planning Startup Kit. This is a, the Bogleheads are a community of people that were kind of inspired by John Bogle, who was the founder of the Vanguard um, family of mutual funds. Uh, and I think the first chairman, he actually um, uh, invented the index fund, you know, in his entire uh, philosophy was automation and low costs and not paying for things that, um, you know, not paying for uh, people to sell you things um, in the, the mutual fund industry and the personal finance industry. So this community of people have basically organized around that idea and kind of sketched out a whole bunch of um, uh, principles and, and actions, immediate actions that you, one can take. Um, to get one's personal finance in order, to um, how to handle you know long-term savings, how to handle retirement savings, how to handle college savings and uh, insurance, and and a bunch of things having to do with personal finance and retirement. So, those are my two uh, sources. Which which were the ones that were inspiring to you? So for me, uh, my first source was Dave Ramsey. He has a series of seven baby steps that he talks about in different books like Total Money Makeover. And then, of course, David Bach's Automatic Millionaire. What I like about these gentlemen is I feel like the advice they're giving you really helps to enable that behavioral change that's needed to get your finances in order because that's really what it is. You're changing your habits. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it is definitely something that I... I realized, you know, as I was reading all of these lists, um, it, well, one of the things is that they address very similar things. Um, so we kind of grouped them into uh, subtopics that they all seem to really address. They had kind of like slightly differing takes on it, but, um, you know, all seemed to come to the same conclusion and be grounded in the same sensibilities. Um, so we're going to kind of organize things around that and like talk about a topic and then what each of the sources uh, had to say about that. So um, with that in mind, let's get started. Um, the first uh, topic um, was credit and debt. And uh, the personal finance for dummies cheat sheet um, had a couple pieces of advice here. They said, uh, don't buy consumer items that lose value over time on credit. That was really interesting to me. The idea that if you're going to buy something on credit, it should go up in value or have a stable value, not something that goes down, right? Um, and then the second piece of advice that kind of went in with along with that was use credit cards only for convenience, not for carrying debt. So credit cards are, you know, the just some of the most high interest uh, money that you can get, um, the most expensive money that you can borrow. And, you, you know, if you take those, you know, two mistakes and, and make them together, you know, use a credit card to buy something that's going down in value, it means that you're paying more for the thing that's losing value. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a double whammy. <laughs> uh, the Bogleheads, you know, have some pretty simple advice on this. Um, paying down bad debt you know, bad debt being high interest debt, you know, as being like one of your top priorities. And then um, the idea of, you know, prioritizing, you know, because there's a couple different pieces of advice that get thrown around, you know, investing in retirement, you know, 
uh, investing in savings? Um, when should you do that? And when should you pay down loans? And their specific piece of advice, there's an article on that that we'll link to, but the specific piece of advice is that there's you know almost no investment that you can make that will guarantee the high rate of return that paying off or paying down high interest loans can bring, right? So credit card debt can be 20%, 25%, 30% interest rates. There's almost no savings that you can, or investment vehicle that you can put your money into that's going to get you that rate of return, right? So whether you make it um, or whether you avoid paying it, it, it really is kind of the same thing. So that's, you know, 25% interest that you won't have to pay on something. Um, that's, you know, very, very, um, you know, mathematically similar to getting that rate of return on your money, like immediately. So um, unless you can make a rate of return that's higher than the interest rate on the loan that you're talking about, you should pay off the loan, right? And um, almost nothing is going to pay off um, at a rate higher than than the loans. So uh, that's kind of uh, the two um, or the you know, the family of advice from my two sources. So Dave Ramsey has this thing he coined called the debt snowball and that you should pay off all your debts except your house using this methodology. Now it's really more behavior modification than mathematics here. His idea is if you can get some small successes that it can really help you build the habit and change your behavior. So if I take all my debts from the smallest debt amount that I owe to the largest, I should focus all of the extra money I have to eliminate the smallest debt first. Even, even though it's small, I can pay the minimum on everything else, even if they're more interest for now. Once I've eliminated that debt, I take all the money that I was putting toward that debt, put it toward the next highest or the next lowest, excuse me. And I just keep snowballing from there until I eventually pay off everything with this momentum. And I've actually used this methodology and the psychological trick in that does, it really does help you get it done. Uh, somebody in the book even asked if they should stop saving for their retirement to do this. And, you know, if you're in enough debt, maybe that makes sense to do it. Uh, that's probably more of like a religious debate, honestly, but. Uh, it's probably a mathematical debate, right? Like if you, yeah. if you can put money into a retirement account and you have like a company matching that to a certain degree, then sure. it might be a hundred percent rate of return right away because of the match. Now you might not be able to touch that, you know, until retirement age, but um, that's a 100% rate of return that paying off debt can't get you. Therefore sure. you should do the retirement. But um, like you said, you know, there's a psychological element to just paying off the debt that can be um, uh, very rewarding. I, I mean, me personally, like I would have to say that, like I would get more psychological reward from paying off high interest rate debt than I would from eliminating total number of debts. But, um, you know, you have to make a self-assessment, right? Like for a lot of people, I think, you know, reducing the total number of credit cards that they have to pay off is, is a powerful thing that, that might be more powerful than reducing the total amount of debt that they have to pay. And you just have to, you know, figure out for yourself, um, which is uh, which is the better route for you, and and this might be a good default. Yeah, and and David Bach in the Automatic Millionaire kind of says the same thing you did. It's more beneficial to save something with that four hundred one k match, even if it's ten bucks. You know, that's going to build wealth over time and help you out in the long run far more than starting later. And you could still do a debt snowball. He actually recommends start with the highest interest rate first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but he sees the point of the snowball. Now his deal is make it automatic to where you can't touch this money. Like it is not, I get money from my paycheck in my account and then I pay the bill. It is, I set up an automatic payment of this bill. See if I can get all my bills adjusted to the same day of the month if possible. So that it's easier to, to handle, but it's, it's now automatic and I don't, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to do it or not. I'm going to do it because I've set it up and I can only touch the amount that's in my account that's left. Right. That's another powerful psychological tool is setting up like automatic bill pay, automatic um, 
you know, payment of that debt, you know, whatever it is that you do, you set it up once and it just happens on autopilot, right? And then you don't have to make the decision to do it every single month or, or every other week or, you know, however often you, you get paid, it just happens automatically. And that's, that's a really powerful tool. I really like that idea. Because if it sits there in your account, you're probably going to spend it or put less towards your debt than you would have otherwise. Right. Then you then you start getting ideas, right? You, you know what I could do with this money? <laughs> you mean other than paying off your debt? Yeah, other than paying that off. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting is like none of these people are advocating not paying off the debt, right? Everything's exactly. like pay, pay off the debt this way or pay off the debt this way. But, you know, whatever it is that you do, whichever method of paying off the debt or making payments on that debt is is works better for you do that one but do it like don't yeah. not and do stick it. to it yeah 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 even if it takes you years stick to it absolutely yeah and get your get your spouse on board with this too because if you're both not on board then it's not happening oh yeah that's that's something that you know is uh you know as a family you all kind of have to be together like making this decision because um uh, any individual person can make a decision that, you know, impacts everybody. And that's, you know, um, your spouse, your kids, like everybody kind of has to be on board with like, hey, this this is the financial priority of the family. And this means, you know, we're going to be making some different decisions, right? Which actually gets to the next point, which is expense management. Um, personal financer dummy says, hey, you need to live within your means and uh, don't try to keep up with coworkers and peers. You know, this is... Um, especially influential when it comes to kids, you know, we want to give our kids, you know, the best and, and set them up and, and not have them, uh, you know, feel bad because they are, you know, not with their peer group or, or something like that. But, you know, ultimately, you know, financial health comes from, you know, making good financial choices, buying, you know, maybe high quality things that, you know, aren't as disposable, um, buying fewer of them, you know, like, uh, not just necessarily buying cheap stuff, right? Like, uh, I remember reading this idea that, um, you know, sometimes buying, you know, spending twice as much money on an item of clothing that's going to last like longer than, you know, twice as long is a better buy than, than buying the thing, you know, the, the cheaper alternative, right? So, um, you know, as, as much as you can reduce your expenses, make, make good choices, make good investments in, in the, in your expenses and make sure that you're buying things that last a long time. Uh, the vocal heads, you know, had the additional advice of tracking your expenses, staying within your budget. There's a lot of stuff around, you know, living below your means as opposed to living within your means, right. And taking that extra money and paying off debt. And then as soon as you paid off debt, you know, starting to invest in savings, emergency funds and, and retirement, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff that we'll get to eventually. Right. And that's a great point. Dave Ramsey advocates the saying, where's my money going? What am I spending it on? If I don't know that, it's hard for me to determine what could be eliminated or reduced. You know, David Bach has this idea called the latte factor. If I am someone who has to go buy a cup of coffee every day or maybe a drink from a gas station every day, I could potentially save that money not make that behavioral decision and over many years that could be a million dollars yeah just that one small change and you know we're not talking about huge changes yes there may be cases where you have to sell one of the cars or something like that because you need to get a bunch of debt cleared but mm -hmm. maybe it's just some small adjustments like not eating out as much or even just ordering water when you go to a restaurant Right. pocketing the $15 towards something else. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's an alternate point of view on this, which is like, if you go into, a, you know, you know, again, this is a psychological thing that if you just, you know, are, you know, withhold, 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 and, and don't do any kind of like self-care at all or treating yourself, then eventually things will build up and you'll splurge and have a, you know, quote unquote cheat day. And then, feel totally justified. So you have to balance, you know, psychologically balance and go, Hey, you know, if this is like a self care item, you know, I need it, but like, you know, always keep in mind, 
um, where it is that, you know, that money actually needs to be going and, and maybe try to work on getting, you know, that same kind of psychological um, payoff by paying off the debt as opposed to, you know, buying steamed milk and coffee, right? And, and, and obviously, you know, as you pointed out, the latte factor, like the latte is a stand-in for any, like, incremental indulgence that we take, you know, on a regular basis that if it cuts back, you know, that's $5 a day times 300 days is, you know, can be significant money. But there's also, you know, the kind of like large mistakes that we can make that that might be, you know, more influential too. And we have to keep an eye on both those things. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's get to the topic of savings. That's the next major topic. Um, Personal Finance for Dummies says uh, save and invest at least 5 to 10% of your income. Um, I'm assuming that that means, you know, that should, you know, probably first go to paying off uh, bad debt and then start going into to saving um, savings. Uh, Manager Tools actually has an article about saving 10% of what you make. Um, and uh, I'm guessing that uh, your sources have like similar themes there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, after you pay down your debt, the Dave Ramsey way is start investing 15% in retirement. Or actually, after you pay down your debt and get three to six months of living expenses in the savings account, then you start investing in retirement. Uh, others might say, like, you know, the automatic millionaire says, make sure you're investing in retirement the whole time. Even if it's only a little bit, it's automatic. You can increase it later and it's better to start early. And I understand both viewpoints. One is from the standpoint of psychological momentum, and the other one is from just math, compound interest. So Right, right. And, um, you know, there are two different uh, takes on getting to the same place, right? But, you know, if you pick one of them, you're going to be okay, as long as you just keep on doing it, right? The the thing that is going to keep you from being successful is not actually falling through on either method, right? Right. So if you pick one method and do it, do that, that's fine. If you honestly, if you bounce back and forth between the two methods, you're still going to be fine. What's going to keep you from being fine is not saving for a while and then save a little bit and then not save for a longer period of time and then save a little bit, you know, whatever, it is. You need to actually save money. <laughs> yeah. You've experienced pain and the pain of staying the same is far greater than the pain of the change. Absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. Yep. That was something out of one of the Dave Ramsey books. Got it. Okay. When the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, the change will occur. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, part of it, again, might be, you know, once you set that psychological goal of, you know, paying off debt, you know, acquiring savings, then you have to pay attention to, you know, the, the progress that you're making and get, you know, joy out of making that progress and substitute that for the joy that you would have gotten by blowing that money on something or acquiring something and, and having it sit around, you know, that's a very, very important part of it. Um, so um, with that in mind, uh, the two things that we kind of talked about, you know, putting that um, those savings in initially, which is, uh, first of all, an emergency fund and second of all, retirement investment. So emergency fund first, the Bogleheads talked about, um, you know, starting saving for an emergency fund and making sure that it was like, you know, three to 12 months worth, worth of expenses. So whatever it is that it takes to cover you know, all of your living expenses, including rent or mortgage and insurance payments and food and clothing, everything that is a household expense, everything that you need to pay out, um, that needs to be covered for at least three months, you know, and longer is better. Yeah. Dave Ramsey's advice is much the same, three to six months of expenses. But he actually does say that before you even start paying down your debts, assuming you're current with all your creditors, you need to save $1,000 for a liquid emergency fund just in case. And if at any point that gets depleted, you stop paying off the debt, well, you start paying the minimum payments on the debt, right? And mm -hmm. then you you make that up in your emergency fund so it gets back to 1000 
And the idea there is to not is to get psychologically used to paying for emergencies with this emergency fund rather than paying it with credit cards is, is my understanding there. Right. Right. And your definition of emergency should be a good one. Not right. like, Oh, I needed a address for my daughter to go to the prom. That's not an emergency, you know? Yeah. That's a planned expense and that you should have built into the budget. Yeah. Pretty far along. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Emergency funds. Um, and then next is retirement investment. Um, Personal Finance for Dummies says, you know, has a couple of pieces of advice here. Um, avoid financial project products that carry uh, commissions and expenses. Um, that is actually fairly common in the industry. Um, second, invest the majority of your long-term money in ownership vehicles that have appreciation potential, such as stocks, real estate, and your own business. Um, the Bogleheads are even a little bit more strict on this. They, they, advise putting that retirement money in very specific types of low expense um, mutual funds. Um, the first is the tar target retirement date. So this is the idea that um, you're retiring on a specific date and then the retirement fund will automatically balance that between stocks and bonds. You know, more and more bonds, the closer you get um, to retirement. Um, and then uh, even better, um, the Bogleheads advise having a three index fund portfolio. Um, and they have examples of that at all the major um, uh, mutual fund companies, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, et cetera, et cetera. If you um, like exchange traded funds, they have um, exchange traded funds to do that as well from the major um, ones who do that, Blackrock, Blackrock, Schwab, Vanguard, and State Street. Um, and the whole idea there is, I think, having kind of a total index fund, uh, total uh, U.S., and then some exposure to international funds and then bonds. So um, depending on what what day or what year you plan on retiring, there should be a specific uh, ratio between those uh, three funds. And they, they have that. And you, you don't even look at it, you know, maybe a, twice a year to kind of rebalance and say, okay, here's the here's the, the ratio that I'm supposed to be at. Where am I at? Okay. What year am I supposed to be retiring? Okay. So here I transfer between these funds to, to get to that uh, specific ratio. Um, so very hands off. It seems like the majority or a lot of 401k plans now just automatically put you into a target retirement date type fund out of the gate, unless you actually go in and change it because yep. they're trying to protect you from, you know, from yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and people have these ideas of like, well, I'm going to invest in this and this and this, and maybe invest in specific funds. Like, you know, almost always, you know, I think this Boglehead philosophy, or maybe it's my personal philosophy, um, you know, the amount of research that you need to do to invest in a specific stock is so high that it would be your full-time job to evaluate whether or not the stock is worth investing in over a specific um, time frame, right? So if that is your full-time job, then maybe you can do that. But if it's not something you're willing to spend time in, like reading annual reports and quarterly reports and, you know, doing research on products and, and debt ratios and, you know, everything that has to do with that company, then why do you think that you're qualified to invest in the, in the stock? Like, you know, or the bonds that they're selling or, or really anything about that. Like, um, it, it really doesn't make sense. You know, people talk to me, ask me about my opinions on stocks and I'm like, man, you're asking the wrong person. Like I, I don't have the time to, to worry about that. <laughs> I can't imagine that you would have an opinion on something, John. That's just... I, I have a strong opinion that like, if you're asking me my opinion on a stock that you should not invest in that stock because <laughs> <laughs> your opinion should get like, like what, what? <laughs> well, speaking of stocks, one thing we didn't write down, but I'll just mention it briefly. Some companies have an employee stock purchase program where you can, you know, buy the stock at a little bit lower rate than fair market value, let's just say, and profit from that. So maybe you need to put more money into that to, to make a bigger payout later. 
And potentially if you have restricted stocks, maybe you dump them and you set to pay down debt if that's a problem for you. But those, those two things aren't always something you might have at your current company. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, and there's probably an entire philosophy there. Like I, I remember thinking um, that it didn't make sense for me to have like my retirement future and my paycheck tied to the same company. Right. So I didn't want my retirement funds tied up in just the stock of the company I worked for, because if that company went down and fired me, then I, you know, and, and all my retirement funds were invested in that company stock, then it was also, you know, evaporated. So you, you need to like diversify off of just the company that you work for. You don't want to be, you know, uh, you don't want to double down basically, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Bogle has also mentioned, um, employer matching funds again in this context, right? Like if you, um, have, an employer who matches money that goes into a retirement fund, like a 401k or a 403b, if you work for a government entity or, or something similar, then take advantage of that, right? Because that employer match is 100% return immediately. And that's very, very difficult to find in any context, right? So um, uh, just keep that in mind or 50% match or 25% match, whatever the ratio is, like, very difficult to get that guaranteed rate of return anywhere in any kind of investment vehicle. So if they match at whatever ratio, you know, take it. Um, that's usually after, you know, um, paying off high interest debt. Uh, but, you know, if that matching ratio is high enough, then maybe it makes sense to do that instead. Um, I think the last topic was home ownership. Uh, there's a couple, this is, I think, maybe the place where there was uh, the most um, conflict or differing opinions, right? And it probably just had to do with the philosophy or, you know, philosophical um, basis. And um, personal finance for dummies said, own your own home, basically without any, uh, any caveats or, or analysis. Um, you know, this is something that can go up in price, you know, buy your house rather than renting. Uh, Bogleheads actually had some analysis and they said, here is an article on the own versus rent decision, right? And it has to do with how much savings you have to be able to pay down, like, you know, um, have a down payment for that home, you know, what you can afford in the area that you live in. You know, there's some areas that it might be way more expensive to, to own a place rather than rent. And, uh, and, you know, it's a mathematical decision. Um, so, um, you know, I'm more of a, a math person. So I'm more inclined to say, you know, do some analysis. Don't just flat out, you know, buy, always buy. You mean I shouldn't try to buy a house in Silicon Valley, John? Is that what you're saying? I think that, you know, the decision to buy a house in Silicon Valley really depends on your financial health. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's a no for me. <laughs> I'm not there. Uh, it's easier to just live in a, in a state that has a much lower cost of living and not have to worry about it. But you know, if, if we're talking Dave Ramsey's opinion here, he says you should absolutely pay off your house early, save yourself a ton of interest on that loan. And that the majority of people do not make a systematic regular payment that's extra on their mortgage. You know, some people like to do the twice a month payments to, to save, um, you know, you could just take your debt snowball and whatever the total amount was you were paying toward all the debt, put that toward the house and pay it off. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, really smart. Um, and getting out from under even, you know, that long-term debt, um, of the house, you know, makes a lot of sense too. Right. Because that's just sure extra interest that you don't have to pay, you know, over the long term, you know, be that 30 years or 15 or, or whatever kind of loan that you, you happen to have. Um, you know, another point that I wanted to make in this uh, is the pay as if method. Like if, if you're thinking about buying a house, you know, you should um, think about, you know, do the math, like what kind of down payment do I need? 
um, or more accurately, what kind of down payment do I actually have? What is the price of a house that I'm targeting? And then what, you know, is the, um, if there's a, um, like a homeowners, like a association, like an HOA fee that you have to pay, like what, are, what is the insurance or like, you know, tax, you know, rate that you'd have to pay all those things you can boil down to a mon- monthly payment. And you should really figure out like if that's higher than, than the rent that you're currently paying, you know, and like, you know, say your rent is currently $500 and to own a house, it's going to be, you know, $1,300, you know, to buy that house that you, you really, really want to own. Well, uh, you know, I think this is maybe something my mother did and she said, well, oh, you're saying that you can't afford, you can afford that payment, then you should, then you should start like start right now. If you, if you're saying that you're currently paying 500, but you could pay 1300, then you should start socking away the difference between those two in your, your down payment, um, you know, uh, savings account, right. Um, and live now as if you are making that payment. And if you can't live as if you're making that payment, then you really cannot afford to buy that house. And you need to do adjust a number of different, you know, one of, uh, number of different knobs that you have there, right? More down payment, you know, less expensive house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Do so, your own escrow versus letting the mortgage company run the escrow. Sure. I, I, not having ever been a homeowner, I don't really know what goes into that, but yeah. Yeah, we can talk offline about that one. All right, great. I, I, we can talk offline about it. Like once I get a, a decent down payment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just yeah. come to Texas, John. That's what yeah. you need to do. <laughs> that is that is uh, definitely an, <laughs> one of the other options that you need to have, right? Um, it's another one of the knobs that you need to be able to turn. Maybe you just can't afford to buy a home in the place that that you're currently living, and maybe you need to look for a lower cost of living uh, location. But then you need to take into account, you know, um, you know uh, the type of job that you could get there. You know the Maybe you're talking about buying a house further away, which would mean a longer commute, uh, and um, and the effect that has on the quality of, your, of life that you're living. So, you know, all those things go into that uh, the uh, the decision, right? But I think the most important point that I was making there is if you can't afford to make the payment today, then I don't know why you think that you're going to be able to make the payment after you buy the house, right? There's nothing magical about like making, making that payment, you know, now versus next month. So you just get to mow the lawn now too. Right. Right. So all of those, those things, you know, you know, taken together, if, you know, if you can make that payment, if you're saying that you're going to be able to make the payment, you know, then you should start making it. Um, That's kept me from doing a number of things. Right. And if and if you're out there and you're saying that you should start being a part of the John White School of Mentoring, then you should start. And the best way to start is send that tweet out to Atner Journey today for pricing and packaging. And since you're going to have your finances under control, that shouldn't be an issue. Nice. <laughs> um, there's a number of issues that were covered by these um, authors and sources that we're not going to be able to cover. Um, that had to do with, you know, once you're kind of in a better position, you know, saving money for your kids' college funds, um, broader insurance coverage, that's a pretty complex topic, um, charitable giving. I mean, these all are, you know, happen, I guess, after you are debt-free and you have emergency funds and you're saving for retirement. Um, and I think that, uh, if you are in that better position, um, you should go to these uh, sources that we we noted. And uh, again, we're going to have links to them, and you you know read up on it. Like, what should you do in that situation? But I think most importantly, for people who um, are not in a sound financial place, they don't have that you know six months of of emergency fund. You know, they have some bad debt. You know, follow these steps. Right? Um, we're strong believers of you know, living debt free. Um, and, uh, you know, really it's a big part of, um, having that freedom to make decisions, um, in the case of a, you know, bad employer, 
or if you had a bad job or if you have a bad manager or you're working for a bad group or you get laid off, right? Um, you're going to be able to make a better decision for your career and family if you don't have these pressures, these financial pressures, um, you know, on you. So, um, you know, things happen, right? Um, you have things happen in your past, um, you know, health uh, scares, you know, whatever has happened. And uh, you, maybe you do have um, some debt, um, you know, follow these uh, these tenants, you know, these methods and, and pay it off. Um, get that financial house in order and, you know, the psychological pressure that will be taken off of you is 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 incredible. It's an incredible feeling to finally be debt free. Um, it's a you know to to be able to make a decision on on a job without having to take into account like you know well I don't want to take it because it's it's not a good match but I have to because I need to make these payments. I mean that's a terrible position to be in, and it's a great position to be able to say pass. I'm waiting for the right thing. Yeah. And one other thing I'll say, you know, if you don't learn well from reading books, reading articles, there are financial workshops out there that you can be a part of. Dave Ramsey has a financial peace university that he offers. I'm sure there are many more from popular financial planners and the like. Yeah. A lot of I stuff. I don't know if John has one that he's offering as part of the John White School of Mentoring, but if he is, we'll, we'll make sure and let you know. Um, actually I was just thinking like, you know, there's a bunch of these things and a bunch of these principles that are, you know, people record YouTube videos about, you know, how to do these things. So, um, you know, if we have some time, we'll dig those up and add them to the resource list as well. And, you know, if another thing, if you're going to mentor someone who's new to the workforce, uh, I think talking to them about finances is smart. You know, that was one of the first things that one of my mentors talked to me about. And he gave me some great advice and I definitely appreciated that. And I, you know, it was one of those things that, oh, I didn't realize I needed that advice until after you told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not everybody like, you know, not every family has this as kind of like their, you know, um, kind of baked into like how you grow up. I remember, you know, my parents always talked about, you know, avoiding credit card debt, about avoiding, you know, kind of the hamster wheel of, you know, having a bunch of different credit cards. And I can even remember my father saying, you know, credit cards are like financial cocaine. You know, it's like you, it's, people get hooked on it. It's addictive, you know, to be able to live outside your means and, you know, live a certain lifestyle that you're, you know, Maybe you can't actually afford to live in, but it's a quick hit. And, and the problem is, is that, you know, the, the long-term ramifications on your life, you know, you eventually have to pay the piper, right? So let's, uh, maybe all promise ourselves that we, uh, we reduce that, that standard of living, um, pay down debts, save money, be able to make sound financial decisions without having to, uh, worry about, uh, um, the next payment. And all this means that you're going to be making more money at the end of the day from the same job you had. Absolutely. Absolutely. That your take home pay is going to be higher, right? When, when you pay off a, a credit card and you no longer have to pay that minimum payment, that's, that's like extra money in your pocket. Right. And, uh, I think in that snowball method, all of a sudden, you know, debt gets paid off faster and faster. And then suddenly, when you're out from underneath all of that, like your paycheck, it feels like you got a raise, right? Because, you know, the 20 or 30% of the money that was immediately going out the door to pay, pay off um, bad debt, you know, suddenly you can put in your pocket and start, you know, doing things that you wanted to do, right? I think uh, that um, <laughs> live as if, uh, that I think that actually came from my mother when, uh, talking about buying a car. It's like, oh, you want to buy that $30,000 car? And like, you know, justify it. Like, how will you, how will you make this payment? Like, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay. Well, if you can make that payment, then you should start doing it. Like start doing it right now, you know, to yourself, if you can really live that way. <laughs> and it was like a big shocker. And like, hmm, yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. <laughs> I feel like we should have played Mo Money, Mo Problems as the intro music for this episode. 
Mm, yeah, I don't know if we can pay for the licensing for that. Yeah. Well, fact, I, maybe I, we should just sing it. No, I, I, okay. I, I think you still have to pay licensing fees for that. Okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah. both to, to Biggie Smalls and to, um, I think to Diana Ross as well. There's a Diana Ross-like sample there. Um, yeah, anyway, we don't... We, we don't have any advertising, so I think that we should not do any kind of saying, you know what, I'm going to leave a space here um, for you to sing that Diana Ross hook, and then uh, maybe in post, I'll, I'll put it all together and I'll wrap over that. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, maybe next time. Maybe we'll do that next time. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. <laughs> After you said Biggie Smalls, I lost it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it was, it was we should just end this show right here. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think I think that's all that we had anyway. Um, uh, anything you know, quick uh, that we didn't cover, other than Biggie, Biggie Smalls? No. <laughs> just a reminder: we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Even if you don't like Biggie Smalls. We, we want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. <laughs> we're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey when we're not explosively cracking up. So uh, farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at Journeyman for the laughing Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd <laughs> underscore signing off. Adios. <laughs> you know, being in debt is very stressful, in my opinion. You know, the borrower is slave to the lender. That's in the book of Proverbs. So it's definitely biblical. Yeah, did definitely. I say, did I just say biblical? Edit that out. Yeah. That's saying, and um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Very biblical. It's. Um, <laughs> <laughs>